Get pumped, get pumped. Good morning, ARC. That was loud. Good morning, Anacostia River Church. How are you this morning? Are we happy to be in person? Sunday two in a row. Praise God. Great. We'll invite you all to your seats. Um, we're just going to start and just praise the Lord this morning. I'm um, just going to open us up in prayer and just encourage you all. Um, it's just beautiful to be in person as I was thinking about it. Like, I don't want us to, you know, kind of settle in. Um, because it has been a year since we've seen each other, and now we get to see each other every Sunday, and that is just a blessing um, to fellowship with the, the saints, right? Praise God. Um, thank you, Lord. I uh, would just give you all the glory and honor this morning, uh, the fact that we are alive and in the land of the living. Um, it is by your grace and your mercy alone. Um, we thank you that you have prompted our hearts to desire to fellowship with fellow believers, um, and even for those who don't know you, God, to bring them into the space to hear what you've done in our lives that would cause us to treasure time with you, to treasure time with one another, and to sing praises and, and lift up your name on high. Um, so even as we sing the song that it's a happy day uh, when Jesus washed our sins away, um, and now we can be reunited with you, we didn't go through any special ritual to come before your throne of grace and to lift up your name, that we can just pray to you and, and communicate with you. There is no veil there. There is no priest. There is no hindrance. Um, we have Jesus Christ as our only mediator. Um, we thank you, Lord. And I pray that as we sing that we minister to our own souls, oh Lord, and we testify to those around us that you are good. Um, your mercy endures forever and you are worthy of our praise and our worship. Um, so we just give you all the glory and honor. We invite you into this space. Um, that you will uh, delight in our praise and in our worship, in our hands lifted, in our feet stomping, in our hands clapping, um, and that the truly will testify that you are good um, and, and what you have done, uh, the highest price ever paid, um, it, you are worthy right now. So just keep God the glory and honor in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to sing a familiar song, Oh Happy Day. So we invite you all to stand with us again. Uh, we're going to do this a cappella, so we definitely want to hear your voices, hear your hands clapping, um, and just join us. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus was. When Jesus was. When Jesus was. When Jesus was. When Jesus walked, when Jesus walked, he washed my sins away. Oh, happy day. 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 When Jesus walked, when Jesus walked, when Jesus walked, when Jesus walked. Jesus he washed my sins away. Oh, happy day. Happy, happy, happy day. Oh, happy day. He, he taught me how. He taught me how. To walk. 
Fight and pray. Watch, fight and pray. Fight and pray. And he told me how to live. Rejoice, rejoice. Oh, yeah. Every, every day. Watch, fight and pray. Every day. Let's do that again. Oh, 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 happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus walked. 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 Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. He taught me how to walk, fight and pray, fight and pray, and he told me how to live, and he rejoice every, every day.
A few announcements about our life as a church and about our service this morning. Lord willing, at the conclusion of the service this morning, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, so if you are baptized, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are able to take the supper uh, at our church, at your church, we invite you to the table with us this morning. If you haven't already, there should have been some little prepackaged um, juice cups and wafers that we uh, would invite you to get this morning if you haven't gotten it already uh, for when we take the supper after the service. Also, if you need to use the restrooms this morning, we do have restrooms available. You just go into those double doors here to my left or right, and then over to the right, you'll find the restrooms there. So uh, feel free to, to take care of your needs if you have to um, this morning. This summer, for each week during the summer, as a way of thinking together and rejoicing together about being the body of Christ and being able to be together again, uh, we will take the supper each week this summer. Uh, and so we want to encourage folks. Amen. We got some every week folks sitting over there in their car away from the rest of us clapping for communion. It's all good, though. Uh, so this summer, each week, we will celebrate the supper uh, as a way of remembering uh, that we are the body of Christ and discerning together our parts together as the body uh, and rejoicing until he comes. And so we would ask you to set this summer aside as a, a three-month period where you really do press into, we press into what it means to be joined together with Christ uh, in this way. And, and he's given us this gift of the supper for precisely that purpose. So do be mindful of that. Thursday at 7, we continue our study of 1 Thessalonians. And so join us via Zoom as we study God's word together and interact on 1 Thessalonians, we're in chapter 5, um, so do read into that letter and, and come as we open our Bibles together and get to know God's Word together in that way. Pastor Tim, am I I'm missing any announcements? Pastor Dennis, I don't know where you got to. Am I missing any announcements this morning? Good, good, all right. Excellent, then. Well, um, any birthdays or anniversaries this week? Birthdays or anniversaries? Y'all just waving at the cars. <laughs> Say again? I knew it was somebody's birthday. Where's Michelle? Is she here yet? All right, when Michelle comes, this will this will be the they might say, oh, this will be the last birthday we get to celebrate with Michelle uh, before she and George move back to Chicago. So uh, when she comes this morning, let's sing happy birthday to her. Uh, well, assuming she comes to church on her birthday, I mean, she might be in bedside Baptist. I don't know, but let's uh, let's let's celebrate with our sister and encourage her uh, when she comes. Uh, so with that, let me open us with the call to worship. You should never forget his Bible. With the call to worship this morning, which comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter twenty-six, verse forty-one. Uh, just for a little bit of context, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, he's about to suffer. You know, he's praying in agony in Gethsemane. And he's asked the disciples to pray with him. And, and we all know the story. The disciples, as soon as they bow their heads, they, they go to sleep. They're tired. But Jesus comes to them and he exhorts them, just as the word of God exhorts us this morning, with these words. Matthew 26, verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What should we watch for? What should we pray for? In our reading this morning, Pastor, um, Pastor Dennis is going to come and lead us in a reading of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and lead us in prayer. And as he reads 1 Thessalonians 5, see if you can hear there or see there what it is we're to watch for and some things that we are to pray for. So Pastor Dennis, come on. Two, one, two, my check. Good morning, ARC. Scripture reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. About the times and the seasons. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to. You yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When you say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman. and They will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith, love, and the helmet of hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, may we live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is life-giving. And it's true. Lord, we know that night is coming when no man can work. But while it's day, Lord, help us to be about your business. Help us to be sober-minded, Father God, putting on faith, hope, and love, and trusting in your word, Lord, that you have destined us for salvation and not for wrath for all who have put their trust in the Savior. But God, we do long for your return, and yet, God, we see your patience, which is just an expression of your kindness mm -hmm. that would lead to salvation of many. So, God, we know that it's your will that none would perish, but all will come into a knowledge of the truth. So, God, we thank you for your mercy that has been poured out richly towards us. And we pray, God, that you would even give us a newfound urgency uh, to share this good news with family and friends, neighbors, Lord, and those who are walking in darkness. God, we pray even for this neighborhood in which you have allowed us to come into, Lord, that the good seed of your word would indeed fall on good soil. And Lord, we trust that you have prepared hearts and that you have a people in this place place, God. So let us, God, not be ashamed of the gospel, but that we would truly be a city on a hill that give light to everyone, God. Allow the love that we have for one another to be on display, that they may see that we are your disciples. God, we don't just pray for our neighborhoods. But we also pray for the nations. 
We think about India today, Lord, mm. and all that they have put their safety and security in, and the healthcare uh, has collapsed and fallen, Father. We pray for mercy, the hundreds and thousands of souls that will go into eternity without knowing you. Yes, God, we do pray for ventilators and face masks and sanitizers, but ultimately, Lord, we pray that they would know you, the cleansing blood of Jesus. Lord, we pray for the church there in India, the pastors and the people of God, Lord, in the congregation. Lord, we pray that they would be courageous during this time, that they would endure until the end. Father, we see wars and rumors of wars all around. It abounds, God. We see that they are birth pains. But Lord, may we know that you are coming because you said you will. And we may not know the time or the hour, but we do know you will return. So God, help us to be like the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew exactly what to do. Pray peace, Lord, in areas like Israel, the Middle East. But ultimately, we pray that the Prince of Peace would be known by all. So God, we just thank you for this day. We give you praise, glory, and honor for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, as we sing and speak about and read about your might and your righteousness, I pray that you would absorb that um, and that we would be amazed more and more at how you have always been strong and you have always been mighty. They always said been it was, uh, it doesn't have the long way. They said it was upside down. Become those things. You just always were those things. So I pray that you would help us to become more of those things. That's how we No. Keep our eyes focused on you. This way, we pray. Okay. Just check and see if it's Lord God Almighty, you are clothed with majesty. Heavens declare your wonders. You are great for you alone, there is no one else like you. Let the nations declare that you have done great things. Stand and sing with me. Lord God Almighty. Lord God Almighty, you are clothed in majesty. The heavens declare your wonders, for you are great into marvelous things. For you alone are God. Every name else like you. Let the nations declare that you have done great things. Mighty you are, 
um, to the Lord. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. I may be weak. I want to hear you guys. But your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. I may be weak. We're crying out to God this morning. But your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never I may be weak. I may be weak. Your spirit's strong in me. Your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail. My flesh may fail. God, you never will. My God, you never will. I may be weak. I may be weak. Your spirit's strong in me. Your spirit's strong in me. My flesh will fail. My flesh may fail. My God, you never will. My God, you never will. I need you to open my eyes to kiss me apart. I need you to open my eyes to see that you're shaping my life and all I I surrender, give me faith, give me faith to trust what you say, that you're good and your love is great. I'm broken inside, I give you my life. I need you, let's all sing, to soften my heart and break me apart. I need you to pierce through the dark and cleanse every part of me. All I am. All I am. I surrender. Let's make this a cry out. Give me faith. Give me faith to trust what you say. That you're good. That you're that good. Your love is great. Your love is great. I'm broken inside. I'm broken inside. So I give you my life. I give you my life. Sing, give me faith. Give me 
trust what you say that you're good and your love is great i'm broken inside i give you my life so go back to i may be weak i may be weak your spirit strong in me my flesh may fail but my god you never will i may be weak your spirit strong in me my flesh may fail but my god you never will i may be weak your spirit strong in me my flesh may fail my god you never will i may be weak your spirit strong in me my spirit just strong in this may fail my god you never will give me faith to trust what you say that you're good and your love is great i'm broken inside i give you my love and that person who we give our lives to we're going to sing he's the fount of every blessing he is the fount of every blessing um and a few words from that song that caught me we often say them if you're like me we not we may not always know what they mean um and one it talks about he's our ebenezer ebenezer is he's our stone of help so when you sing the ebenezer think about the stone of help which is from first samuel 7:12 then samuel took a stone and set it upon set it up between mizpah and jeshana and named it ebenezer for he said thus far the lord has helped us and it also talks about like a fetter you know this is a little old english and i was like what is a fetter a fetter is chains that keep you bound so when you read that line too it says for thy goodness like a fetter so we're asking him to keep us bound to himself to his goodness um so let's just sing that very familiar song um that's just really beautiful um and just meditate on the words um encourage one another and encourage your souls um and let's sing praises to the fount of every blessing Come thy fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song. Sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I come. 
and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus saw me. Jesus saw me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God here to rescue me from danger. Interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a feather, find my wandering heart to thee. Fruits to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Listen back again, prone to wonder. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy points of love. Oh, that day when free from sinning, I shall see thy lovely friend. Oh, that day when free from sinning? Oh, that day when free from sinning, I shall see thy lovely friend. Clothing in the blood washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Take my ransom soul away. Send thine angels now to carry. Come, my Lord, no longer tear. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Take my ransom soul away. Send thine angels now to carry. Me to realms of witness. God, I ask, Lord, that you would, as we continue to sing, open up our eyes to see you, God, that we would understand that you are our strength, that you are our deliverer, that you are our hope. God, our souls long for the living God. They long for you. All of creation is groaning and waiting for you. So, Son of Righteousness, Son of Man, King of the Earth, would you be seen even now? even in this place. Son of man, son of righteousness, king of the earth, for sinners slain. I was lost, in darkness found, 
ransom my heart and i will sing sing with me son of man son of righteousness king of the earth for sinners slain i was lost i was lost in darkness found the ransom my heart and i will sing let's sing it one more time son of man son of man son of righteousness king of the earth for sinners and i was lost i was lost in darkness found the ransom my heart and i will sing you are my strength you are you are the one who rescued me you are my glory you are your love your love has set me free bless the lord bless the lord oh my soul bless the lord oh my soul bless the lord deep within my spirit sings holy holy in the splendor of your majesty from deep within my spirit sings holy holy in the splendor of your majesty deep within my spirit sings holy holy in the splendor of your majesty from deep within my spirit sings holy Holy in the splendor of your majesty from deep within my spirit sings holy in the splendor holy in the splendor of your majesty from deep within my spirit sings holy one more time holy in the splendor of your majesty from deep within my spirit sings holy 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 Holy, 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 bless, bless the Lord, oh my soul, 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 bless the Lord. 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 Oh my soul.
Amen. So God, we thank you, Lord, for this time of worship. But I ask, Lord, that as we listen to the preaching of your word, that our hearts would be even more tenderized. Lord, I ask, Lord, that there would actually be a longing for your appearing. There would be a longing to see you high and lifted up. God, I ask, Lord, as we hear the word preached today, God, I ask, Lord, that we would be reminded that all of heaven, all of earth, we were created to worship you, to bless you, to love you. But I ask, Lord, this morning that you would do what flesh and blood cannot do, but what you can only do by your spirit. And I ask that you would speak to each and every one of us, God. Speak to each and every one of us that our hearts and our souls would be postured, that they would be positioned to worship you and everything that we you, God, even in the listening of your word, God, I'm asking, Lord, that souls would be saved today. Souls would be saved. God, I ask, Lord, in apartment buildings and in townhouses, God, that people would hear the truth and they would know that there was only one being and his name is Jesus. There's only one Lord and his name is Jesus. God, I'm asking that you would do what only you can do this morning. Author of salvation, grant salvation and save souls. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay. Yeah, your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter thirteen. Mark chapter 13. As you turn there, I want to make an introduction. It's not part of the sermon, so don't count it against my time. <laughs> Next week, Lord willing, we will be in Mark chapter 14, and we will be thinking uh, about, you know, about that chapter and what we learned there about our Lord's betrayal and the Last Supper and things of that sort. And next week, we have a, a, a guest preacher. He's not a, should call him a guest preacher. He's a member of the church family, has been from the very first day until now. And I was kind of stunned when I was putting the sermon schedule together and thinking about it. I was like, how is it that this brother has been with us for six years, has a desire, an evident desire to serve the church family, loves God's word, and we ha he hadn't preached for us before. And so I'm really glad to be correcting that omission as next week, our brother Colin Willis preaches for us God's word, God's 14. Man, so they already love you, Colin. Just get the gospel right, you'll be okay. Uh, so encourage our brother, pray for him this week as he continues to prepare uh, to bring us God's word. Man, so again, let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, indeed, we, we pray again with Essie, Lord of salvation, Prince of peace. Come and do your work through your word right now, we pray. Build up the saints. Encourage us. We need your encouragement. Lord, instruct those who are, are, are unsure or confused and confounded. Give them the wisdom of your word. And uh, Lord, redirect those who are lost. Turn them towards your cross. Turn them towards your love. Turn them towards your grace, we pray. Lift up Jesus, we ask, as we look for him in his word. In Mark 13, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe and a will to do all that we discover in your word. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I wonder what you think about the future. Do you think about the future much? When you think about the future, is it with anxiety, fear? Or are you one of those folks who plans, detailed plans, particular goals, milestones, objectives? Do you really think about the future at all? Perhaps you're one of those persons that uh, just living day by day. You take the day as it comes and you don't think much about what's next. Maybe thoughts about what's next are painful. Maybe thoughts about what's next is unsettling. How do you relate to the future? It's not a philosophical question. It's really a very practical question because how we relate to the future, what we anticipate, what we plan for, what we fear and what we dread has an impact on our right now. I mean, that's what worry is, isn't it? It's borrowing trouble from tomorrow. Tomorrow hasn't even gotten here yet. And we're already stressed about it. That's the future in an unhelpful way breaking into our present. And that's what joy is. Joy, in one sense, is the expectation that things we care about are going to turn out well. It's the future breaking into the present. How do you think about the future? Do you think about the future at all? Or, or maybe you're in that tribe of folks who think about the future in rather fantastic ways. Like when I was a little boy, I saw a, a documentary on Nostradamus. Anybody ever heard of Nostradamus? This guy who's supposed to have this ability to predict the future in great detail. And it was one of those sensational documentaries. It was sort of, you know, it had the music going on and the drama and, the, and they were playing up the predictions. And as a little boy of about nine or ten years old, I was fascinated. Even wanted me one of those poofy hats. <laughs> Maybe you think about the future in that way. Not, not like Nostradamus, but maybe you're the type that has Bible charts about how the end will unfold. But what I want us to do this morning is to get the future in mind. But not the future of fantastic predictions of a Nostradamus and not necessarily the future of our anxiety or even of our joys and not the future of our strategic plans and detailed sort of um, goals for the year, the future as Jesus saw it. Because it's that future that will define all of our futures, and it's that future which is meant to impact our right now lives. We're in Mark chapter 13. We're going to cover the entire chapter this morning with God's help, and I want to sort of walk through this chapter asking and answering three questions. Number one, what is the future of the temple? What is the future of the temple in Jerusalem? We'll see that in Mark 1, verses 1 to 13. Number two, what is the future of the world? What is the future of the world? We'll see that in verses 14 to 27. And number three, what is the future of the Christian? What is the future of the Christian? Verses 28 to 37. Look with me if we, as we read Mark chapter 13. 
And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation that has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, "Here, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, 
nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. He leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. That's the Lord's word. What is the future of the temple? Mark chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, really set the context for us. Sets the context for the teaching of the rest of the chapter. You'll see there in verse 1, the disciples are in Jerusalem. They've been going in and out of the temple every day. And on this particular day, the disciples are in awe of the temple building itself. They, they sort of say with great excitement, look at the temple, how beautiful a temple is. Look at these magnificent stones. And in fact, the, the temple was magnificent. And the stones, incredible. Some of the stones that form the, the sort of foundation of the temple are 42 feet long, about 11 feet high, and about 14 feet deep. Massive stones that appear to be cut out of the side of a mountain and transported up another mount in Jerusalem and laid as the foundation of the temple. You, you stand next to these stones and and, and you look like a little, a little tiny shrimp. You look real peewee. And so they're looking at this temple and they are, they are stunned at what they see and they're admiring what they see. But in verse two, Jesus just reigns on their little parade, doesn't he? You can hear him sort of rolling this out slowly. They're talking about the temple. Look at these beautiful buildings, this massive stone. And Jesus is like, you see these stones? Smiles for effect, pauses. I tell you that not one of these stones will be left upon another. They're all going to be thrown down. And you can imagine that all that excitement they had a moment ago just sort of evaporates, doesn't it? And the rest of the, the sort of chapter of Mark is really explaining how it is going to come to pass that the temple will be destroyed, the temple will be torn down. And really, that's been the theme from Mark chapter 11 all the way to chapter 13, that the, the action has centered on the temple. So you remember in Mark chapter 11, Jesus uses the parable of the fig tree as a way of describing the, the sort of judgment that's come upon the temple. And also in Mark chapter 11, you remember Jesus went into the temple area in the court of Gentiles and cleansed the temple, turning over the tables of the money changers, made a whip and drove the people out of the temple, saying, this is my father's house. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all people, but you have made it a den of robbers. So if you're looking for sort of one theme for these three chapters, it is this issue of the temple and the future of the temple. The disciples are assuming that the temple in its magnificence is going to exist forever. They're making an assumption about the future. And that particular assumption is giving them a kind of joy Jesus corrects them. He tells them something different. 
that the temple will not stand forever. And there's a theological reason that the true temple is Jesus Christ himself. He is the living temple standing right before them. He is the incarnate temple that people are to look to, not the temple in Jerusalem. Verse three, the disciples, I think, are, are kind of rock. They must have sat with that for a little while. And, and then four of the disciples come to Jesus. Notice there, privately, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. They find a moment to sort of come up to Jesus and say, now, tell us about this thing. We, we, got, we got a couple of questions for you. Notice what they say. When will these things be? That's question number one. And question number two, what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? They want to know the timing, when, and they want to have a sign, a heads up, that this is about to happen. Now, the rest of Mark 13 is actually one of the more difficult passages to interpret in the Bible. Jesus is using a lot of symbolic language. Sometimes he's using apocalyptic language. Sometimes he's talking in uh, pretty strict prose. And Jesus bounces back and forth in the timeline on this question. Sometimes he's answering the specific question about the temple, but then other times he slides over into talking about the end of the age, not just the destruction of the temple, but the end of the world itself. Here's the key, if you're reading Mark 13, for sort of keeping track of what Jesus is talking about. Number one, when we read these things, the phrase these things, Jesus is really referring to the temple and their question about the destruction of the temple. And when we read those days or the end, Jesus is kind of teleporting down the hardest of time to the end of the world and the final judgment of the world. So verses 5 to 13 is concerned with these things, and that's what we want to look at in terms of the future of the temple. What are the signs and what is the timing of the destruction of the temple? we got two paragraphs there full of signs. Paragraph in verses 5 to 8, we get the signs of the false Christ, national strife, and natural disaster. You know these words. I used to hear my mom, my grandma would talk about some of these words all the time. She'd say, in the end, there's going to be wars and rumors of war. That's it. We watch the news, and that would be how she would interpret the news. And you see conflict in Israel or conflict in some other country. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. And, and Jesus says, now, there are also going to be folks who come and say, I am he. There are going to be these false messiahs, these false Christs, these false prophets who deceive people and, and lead them away. There'll be earthquakes and famines. There'll be natural disasters. There'll be diseases like COVID-19 and, and other kinds of things that that come upon Jerusalem, that come upon the world, that are themselves signs. But notice what the Lord said. He says that these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Sometimes we imagine the suffering in the world as kind of the greatest suffering there could be. We think about wars and we think about earthquakes and disasters, and, and we rightly have a sense of how terrible that is. But, but if we think that that's the, that's the end, Jesus is like, no, no, this is the beginning of the timeline. This is the beginning of birth pains. He uses the imagery there of childbirth. 
this is the beginning of labor pains, of, of pushing and hollering and hurting. He says real clearly there uh, in verse 7, this must take place, but the end is not yet. So what he's talking about here are things belonging to the temple. And the first cluster of signs are false Christ and national strife and uh, natural disasters. But then there are things in verses 9 to 13. So there he gives us another cluster of signs about the end of the temple. There's going to be persecution and betrayal and death in martyrdom. Notice there in verse 9, there is religious persecution, for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues. Those councils are the religious boards of leadership in the synagogue. So there's going to be religious, religious persecution for Christians. Notice now, secondly, there'll be political persecution. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And not only that, there'll be family betrayal. There'll be persecution even in social relationships. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. The Bible says that near the end, the love of many will grow cold. This is a, a graphic description of that, really. How, how deep the betrayal that that parents who have children who believe in Jesus will turn those children in to be arrested and persecuted and put to death. And children who themselves may not be believers or may be believers will have parents who are faithful Christians who they will turn in to, to put to death. It's going to be a horrible time. And all of it will be happening, notice there, for Jesus' namesake. Because these folks are Christians, because they believe in Christ, because they live for the name and the glory of Christ, that, that objective in life will lead to persecution and betrayal and martyrdom. But also grace. Notice in the midst of the suffering, the church also witnesses. Look at the end of verse 9. It says, you will stand before governors and kings for my sake. Why? To bear witness before them. Look at verse 10. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And look at the help of verse 11. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. So in the midst of all of this calamity, in the midst of all of this betrayal, in the midst of all of this uh, persecution, guess who's with the Christian? Christ is with the Christian. In the midst of suffering for his namesake, guess what Jesus does? He identifies with us and he helps us in the midst of the suffering to be able to give words, to be able to articulate the good news that has made us Christians. In the midst of all of the church's turmoil, in the midst of all of the church's trouble, the one thing that is still going to go out with great success is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
This is, I don't want you to be anxious. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to be caught up. I'm going to give you some signs. And yes, it's going to be terrible when Jerusalem and the religious system of worship in Jerusalem is brought to an end. But trust me when I tell you that the Holy Spirit is going to give you power to witness, that the Holy Spirit is going to give you particular words. You're going to stand before kings and this message is going to go to the nations so that the glory and the greatness and the goodness of Jesus Christ will be known around the world. And this is in the beginning. Let me put it to you this way. That in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of this calamity, in the midst of the judgment that comes upon Jerusalem and the temple, and the first church there in Jerusalem. God's chief agenda is not necessarily to end the suffering. It's not necessarily to end the strife. It's not to bring world peace and an end to all wars. God's primary agenda is to make his son known. And in making his son known, rescue people, not just from trouble on earth, but to rescue people from the trouble of hell. To bring people to himself and to make them new creatures. To give them a new life. To give them a new heart. To bring people to himself and in bringing them to himself, to bring them not into the kingdom of men, but into the kingdom of God. Where there is everlasting joy and everlasting pleasure in his presence. God's agenda in the midst of the world's strife, first and foremost, primarily, to see the gospel advance to the ends of the earth. And he will be doing that by the supernatural aid of his spirit. So he says, you don't even think about, need to think about what you're going to say in that hour. For the spirit himself will be speaking through you. Liberating is that. For all of us who feel like we clam up as evangelists and we get nervous talking about Jesus, how, how liberating is that? To be in a conversation and say, you know what, say it to yourself, the little monologue you got going on, because they talking and you're like, ooh, I could say the gospel right there. Ooh, I could talk about Jesus right there, but you're feeling all your insecurity. How liberating is it to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to open my mouth. <laughs> uh, that's my part. You said you were going to give me the words. And to just open your mouth and start talking about the Lord. And let the Holy Spirit take our feeble words and exalt Jesus and draw people to himself. But that's God's agenda. The salvation of the world through the preaching of the gospel. Now, beloved, if you're here this morning, I want you to know something just from this little bit we've seen so far. I want you to know from this text, from Jesus' words here, that in all of your suffering, suffering is real, it's not make-believe, all of your difficulties, in all the things that you may see out in the world that cause you anxiety, like wars and rumors of wars, like earthquakes and pestilences and wearing masks to church services because of COVID, because of uh, all the injustice we see in the world, I, I, I want you to know something. That God's agenda for you is that you believe in his son. And that God's path to peace for you is not the removal or change of all of those things, but he promises a peace 
that the world cannot take away. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. And so in the midst of all of the paroxysms and cataclysms and, and all of the schisms and changes that are happening in the world, God is offering to you a peace that comes through his son. He's offering to you a life that comes to, through his son. He's offering you a life that will outlive all of the trouble that you see. Hallelujah. And a life that one day will have no trouble at all. Because it will be in his eternal kingdom where there's only righteousness and joy and peace and fellowship. He has not asked you to buy this life. He has not asked you to earn this life. He has not sent you on some fantasy quest to discover this life. He has said in his word he will give you this life. He has done through his son what is necessary to purchase this life. For Christ died on the cross for our sins. And three days later, he was raised from the grave for our righteousness and justification. And, and this same Christ who is speaking here is the one who says to you, all you who are weak and heavy laden, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, come to me in repentance from sin and in faith in Christ, and I will give you life. And beloved, here's the promise of the Bible. No one who comes to Jesus in faith will ever be cast away. What's God doing in your suffering? He's trying to get you to hear the gospel. He's trying to get you to recognize Jesus and to put your faith and your hope and your confidence in him. He's trying to give you everlasting life and eternal joy. You hear this morning, you're not yet a Christian. If you hear nothing else in this sermon, please, please meditate on this good news that Jesus has come to rescue you from your sins, to rescue you from the coming judgment of God, and to make you a child of God through faith in him. And you can have that simply by confessing and believing. Want to know more about that? Talk with us after the service. We'll be glad to tell you all we can and to help you understand. So the temple will come to an end. In fact, it already has. What about the world? What's the future of the world? Well, verses 14 to 28, likewise, give us two paragraphs that shift our attention away from the temple and the immediate destruction of the temple to the end, to the world and the future of the world. And Jesus gives us two kind of chief signs here. The first sign you see there in verse 14. He says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Kind of wish that Mark would have went ahead and told us what he wanted us to understand, don't you? What is, what is this abomination of desolation? What's, what's going on here? Well, he's using a phrase that goes all the way back to Daniel. I think our, our women, one of our women's small groups is working their way through the book of Daniel right now. Three times in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel 11, and Daniel 12, there's reference to this abomination that desolates. Let me read for you, or follow with me, turn with me if you want to, in Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, uh, there Daniel is prophesying about the end of the world, and he uses this rather famous sort of parable of, of this sort of 70 weeks. Notice what he says in Daniel 9, verse 24 down to verse 30, verse 27, excuse me. 
70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, referring to Israel, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. So he's saying there, figuratively, symbolically, 70 weeks, there's this time period where God's going to do several things. He's going to finish transgression. He's going to bring an end to sin. And he's going to atone for iniquity. Christ, and we know sort of going to the New Testament, Christ is going to die for our sins to make atonement for our sins. And he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Christ in his perfect obedience to God has provided for us too a perfect righteousness. And there's going to be a day when prophecy and all those things will end. They'll be sealed up. And notice what he says in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolate. Daniel's predicting a time where there will be one who is in fact a false Christ who will rise up and he'll put an end to sacrifices, not in the sense that Jesus does, but in the ritualistic sense. He will end Jewish worship and he will bring, he will come on the wings of abomination. What's that abomination? Well, if you flip over a page to Daniel chapter 11, verse 30, there Daniel mentions this, 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 this thing again. Look there, he says, he shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. So he's going to pay attention to those who fall away from religious worship in God. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So this religious leader is going to take away the sacrifices in the temple. And he's going to come and stand up the abomination of desolation. Some kind of idol, some kind of statue, some kind of false god. And he's going to call people to worship this false god. And many people will be drawn away into this falsehood. Just as Jesus says in Mark chapter 13. But those who stand firm, the people who know their God will not be deceived, but stand firm. This, I think, is what Mark has in mind. He says, let the reader understand. That let the reader go back to the Old Testament and remember what's prophesied in Daniel and know that that's going to come on the world at the end of the world's history. False teachers with false messengers, if they can, seducing and drawing away those who would be seduced and drawn away. And it's going to be terrible. You see there back in Mark chapter 13, verse 14. It says, now when you see this happening, 
run. <laughs> he said, flee. He said, if you're up on the mountain somewhere, just come on down off the mountain and keep running. If you're on top of the house, don't go in the house. Don't try and go get your stuff. You just need to leave. You need to run. If you're out in the field, working in the field, don't go over there and get your little raggedy coat, try to put your coat on. Leave your coat on the side of the field and just run. The trouble is going to come upon the world like a flood suddenly. When you see it, that's not time to try and collect your worldly possessions. It's not time to try and have a conversation with folks. It's time to flee. Why? Look at verse 19. For in those days there will be such tribulation as, not, as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. See that some of you who are prophecy buffs have heard talk of the great tribulation. One of the places where that, that phrase comes from. We know now that Jesus isn't talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about a day of trouble that's so great that he can only describe it as a day that's never been seen before and never will be seen again. A day so bad that, notice verse 20, if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. No one would escape, escape this. This would be a a worldwide extinction level event, if you will. Notice God's grace, the second part of verse 20. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the day. The world deserves this judgment, this calamity, this trouble, this hardship, this tribulation. The world has more than earned it through its sin and rebellion against God. In fact, we all have. We're all sinners. It's not one of us that is without sin. It's not one of us who's not deserving of judgment. But look how good God is. God shortens the period of that trouble, of that judgment. He shortens it particularly for the sake of the elect, those whom he has chosen, for the sake of the people that he has called to himself in the gospel and love in his son, Jesus Christ. So that we who believe would not perish with the world, God intervenes, short the judgment that the world deserves. And again, we get this reminder now, there are going to be people who say, I'm, I'm the Christ. Look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and notice now, perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I told you these things beforehand. What's the difference between the true Christ and the false Christ? It's not the signs and wonders. For here, even the false Christ are performing lying signs and wonders that would deceive the elect. What's the difference between the true Christ and the false Christ? The true Christ has died for us. He's loved us so much that he's given himself for us. The true Christ has been raised from the grave. And the true Christ, when he comes, he will be peace to us. Not strife and deception. He will be truth to us. 
not lies and falsehoods. And so this great tribulation will come, but but God will be acting mercifully, graciously to save his people. Now, notice the second sign that Jesus gives here. It's there in verses 24 to 27. The second sign is the renewal of creation and the coming of the Son of Man. Notice now he says, in those days. So he's not referring to uh, the these things of the temple, but he's looking down toward the end of time. And notice that he says, in those days, after the tribulation, after that tribulation. So after that suffering, there's something else that happens here. The, the cosmos, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they, they'll go dark and they will fall out of the sky. And the powers in heaven will be shaken. First, the angels themselves. This is the language of apocalypse. Very symbolic language. Here it symbolizes the the judgment and destruction of the first creation and the renewal of all things. Do you know that Christ did not come just to save us individuals, personally, but to also to renew the creation itself? That in that sense, his salvation is not just personal, it is also cosmic. He saves the whole creation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And here, on the eve of his coming, like the entire creation shakes and vibrates and moves in anticipation of its redeemer. Notice now, right at that time, the Son of Man comes in cloud and power and glory. Those who pierce him will see him. All of creation will see him. He will fill the sky with his majesty. His power will be undeniable. His glory will fill not just the temple, but the creation itself. The false prophets will have their lying signs and wonders, but when Jesus returns, he himself will be the wonder. He himself will captivate all of creation. He himself will grab our attention and grab our hearts and draw us toward himself in his glory. In the end of time, at the end of the world, Jesus will be all. He will be all in all. Mark is telling us here, Jesus is telling us here that, that Jesus himself is the end, is the goal of history. That's where all of history is going. It is climaxing in the coming of the Son of Man. It is climaxing in the coming of the Son of God. After him, there will be no history, only eternity. We shall be gathered together, enjoy him forever. That's the future of the world. But what about the Christian? What is the future of the Christian and the Christian church? Like a good rabbi, a good teacher, Jesus not only gives these folks, uh, his disciples, these signs and events, but now he wants to bring it home. He wants to make the point, make the lesson clear. Verses 28 to 37, he gives us really two lessons very much related in theme. In verses 28 to 31, he gives us a lesson that's really key to the question about the temple's destruction. And in verses 32 to 37, he gives us a lesson that's key to what he's been teaching about the end of the world. What's the lesson in 28 to 31? I, I might summarize it this way. Live like Jesus is near. 
live like Jesus is near. Look what he says there. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So again, now Jesus goes back to the fig tree to use it as an analogy. And he teaches us a little bit about the fig tree here, that it has buds that come early. Those buds that come early is not the fruit of the fig itself, but, but they are sort of uh, pointers to the coming of summer. And he's saying here, as was prayed earlier, you, you need to be like the sons of Issachar. You need to be able to discern the times. And he says, when you see these events I've been talking about, notice now that, that those things are like the bud. They are, they are telling us that we can rightly anticipate not the fruit of figs on a tree, but the coming of Jesus himself. That in fact, he is near. He is at the very gates. And, and that is supposed to, that's supposed to create a kind of alertness. That's supposed to create an awareness of the presence and the, and the face of God. We are met now with this kind of teaching of the imminent return, the soon return, the at the gates return of Jesus. We are meant to live now, Coram Deo, before the face of God. Jesus says in verse 30, those rather enigmatic words for a lot of folks. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Well, the all things, again, are the things related to the destruction of the temple. He's saying to the people who hear him just there that, listen, before you die, before this generation leaves the face of the earth, that everything I predicted about the destruction of the temple will, in fact, come to pass. And indeed, we know that in 70 AD, Rome, Jerusalem was conquered, the temple was destroyed, the Jewish wars were brought to an end, and there was desolation and captivity that came upon Israel. In that generation, that destruction actually occurred. And before it did, Jesus spoke the words of verse 31. He spoke with this kind of confidence. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It, it was like he was saying, write it down, make it plain, take it to the bank. Everything I've just told you about the destruction of Jerusalem, it will happen in your generation. Be confident of it. Be sure of it. Trust my word. And that's a clue as to how we can live as if Jesus is near. By taking his word this seriously that heaven and earth will pass away before even one letter, one punctuation mark of this divinely inspired word would fall. The stars will fall from the sky before the word falls empty. The earth will, will tear itself apart in an earthquake before the word will be broken. The sun will refuse to give its light before the word of God stops giving light of the knowledge of Christ and the glory of Christ. If we would live like he is near, 
We have to take him at his word that he is near, that he is coming, that he will be back soon. And it's because of a passage like this that Christians throughout history have always believed in the imminent return of Christ. Always believed that, that his coming is near. And that near is too weak a word. And his coming will be sudden. In an instant, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, Christ will be back. One of the great deceptions that we live with is the, the regularity of days and calendars. Simple marking of days, the flipping of calendars from one month to another. The regularity of work weeks and the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun seduces us into thinking that this world just might be permanent. That our lives just might go on for a very long time. And, and the regularity of this life has a way of pulling our eyes down away from the clouds, away from glory, away from the coming of Christ and focusing our eyes and worse yet, focusing our hearts on the stuff we got to do today. On the projects at work, on the honeydew list at home. Whether the Lakers will make it into the playoffs. <laughs> they won't get out of the play-in tournament. Whoa. <laughs> the regularity of this life creates a, a dullness in us, a, a spiritual forgetfulness, creates in us a dependence upon this life. But Jesus is saying, raise your gaze, lift your eyes to the hill, watch for my coming. Live like I'm here because I am. Be ready and waiting. Which brings us to the second lesson there in verses 32 to 37. He says very plainly, he's talking about the end now, now concerning that day or that hour. See how he's looking off into the distance. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. It's another verse that sometimes troubles people. Jesus is God. How does he not know this? If he's omniscient, how does he not know the, the time of his coming? Well, it's because that knowledge, God the Father, is closed up in himself. Think Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the secret things belong to the Lord. The angels don't know, and God knows preachers don't know. So anytime you hear a pastor or so-called prophet or so-called preacher talking about this is the day, this is the time, this is when Jesus is coming. Turn the channel. Throw away the book. Don't give that book to nobody else. Throw away the book. It's okay to burn some books. Stop listening to that person. Because remember how Jesus starts in verse 5. Do not listen to them. It tells us very plainly. They do not know. We do not know. Pastor T doesn't know. If he comes back from sabbatical, talking about, I discovered the date. Y'all go ahead and fire him. <laughs> He was on sabbatical too long. <laughs> and with this verse, Jesus is telling us that actually our job is not to figure out the future. I don't want to beat up on you if you're a prophecy buff and you got all those charts and things of that sort. Go ahead with your little charts. That's all right. But it ain't your job. 
We got one job according to verses 33 to 37. Be on guard, keep away. That's it. Be on guard, keep away. Don't, don't figure out the end. Nobody knows. Don't, don't give yourself to all these prophecy schemes. Nobody knows. You got one job. Live like Jesus is near and stay awake. Stay woke. This is the original woke Christianity right here. This is the original stay woke right here. Look for the coming of Jesus. And then he gives us this parable about why this is so necessary. Verse 34. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay away. Therefore, stay away, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay away. That's the main pastoral point, not only of this paragraph, but of the entire chapter. Lots of things are going to happen in the world for the destruction of the temple and the coming of the end. Uh, Jesus gives us some examples of signs and things that will happen, but those aren't the point. The point is, Jesus is coming. He's the master of the house. He's coming back when nobody knows. He's given us one job. We're the doorkeepers. We are meant to stay awake and watch for his coming. Look, anticipate, long for the coming of the Lord. Why is that so important? First, because we don't know when he will come. Second, because we want to be found faithful when he does come. So what we want to cultivate, beloved, is this wakefulness, this watchfulness, this alertness, if you will, this wokeness. Does anybody say woke anymore? I mean, by the time it's on Fox News, we done with it, right? Conservative <laughs> politicians go on about it. We done moved on to the next turn. But stay woke, if you will. And let me suggest then how we do that. How do we stay awake until Jesus comes? Four things I want to call out real quickly as applications um, for how to cultivate this kind of heart, and then we'll, we'll, we'll close. Number one, I'm thinking here about the first part of verse five and the first part of verse seven. Stay on the path and do not be anxious. Stay on the path and do not be anxious. Verse five, and some of those standing there said, no, excuse me, Second part of verse five. See the wind that blew my face. There we go. And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Verse seven, second part. This must take place, but the end is not yet. And so we're meant to, we're meant to stay on the path. We're not to let anyone lead us to, astray. And when he says the end is not yet, it's, it's one of the ways of his sort of calming the disciples down. Don't get anxious. Don't start to worry. Don't fret. Because you see these signs, do not panic. Keep calm and carry on. So what's the path? Well, it's the way of Jesus. It's the way he teaches us to live in his word. It's a way of faith, hope, and love. It's a way of looking to his coming, of loving and serving our neighbor. It's a way of bearing witness through the proclamation of the gospel. Stay on the path, beloved. 
Don't let folks seduce you to another religious understanding, another religious teaching. Don't, don't let folks seduce you to a, another way of living. For there are all kinds of false prophets, some of them religious, some of them secular. Our job is to stay on the path. Secondly, be ready for persecution and proclaim the gospel while we endure. I take that from verse 9, verse 10, verse 13. Notice what Jesus says in the first part of verse 9 again. Be on your guard. Why? Because they're going to deliver you over to persecution. Notice verse 10. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. We still got that job of witnessing. And then verse 13. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Not the one who goes on for a little while and turns back. Not the one who forsakes Jesus and follows the false Christ, but the one who endures in faith until the end will be saved. I don't know if you've thought about this much, but endurance is what guarantees we get what we desire. It is perseverance, going on, enduring. This kind of endurance is an intentional choice and a resolution. This kind of endurance is deciding that Jesus is worth it no matter what happens in the world. This kind of endurance is deciding, resolving, intentional, that Jesus is worth it no matter what goes on in the world. Is that you? Is that me? Have we done, as we sing sometimes at baptism, can we say, I have decided to follow Jesus? No turning back? No turning back? Beloved, we need that kind of perspective long before we're actually suffering persecutions. It's hard to develop character in a pinch. You want to resolve and practice this before the persecution comes. I mean, Jesus says in verse 22, I have told you these things beforehand. Why? So that we might consider them, prepare our hearts, be ready to endure when they happen. A third thing. Again, verse 23. Remember what Jesus teaches about the end. We want to develop a, a wakefulness and alertness to Christ's coming. And we need to remember and rehearse and remind ourselves of what Jesus teaches about the end. Again, verse 23. Be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. And Jesus himself has helped us to remember by giving us rituals to observe. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a moment. What is that? But remembrance. As often as you do, do this what? In remembrance of things. And what else does he say when he institutes the supper? He says that we, what? Proclaim the Lord's death until what? Until he comes. The supper is a remembrance and an anticipation. It is a remembrance of what Jesus has done, a remembrance of what he has taught us about these things, and it is an anticipation, a longing 
for him to come. It is a foretaste of the supper that we will have with him in his kingdom when he comes again. So from the observance of the Lord's Supper and rejoicing in baptism to the, the practical kinds of practices we may develop personally, let's commit ourselves to remember, not forgetting, to holding on to and applying again and preaching to ourselves what Jesus has taught us. Sunday morning should not be your only sermon in the week. And the sermons you listen to on your podcast, first of all, email me, tell me who you're listening to so I can make sure you are. Right. But the sermons you're listening to on your podcast, even as you listen to them through the week, are not meant to be the only sermons you hear. We should regularly hear ourselves preaching to ourselves the truth of the gospel and the truth of Christ so that we remember and we hold on. Which brings us to our final thing. How do we develop this watchfulness, this awakeness? We keep looking daily, keep looking daily for the return of the Lord. I don't know, do we take seriously the, the fact that Jesus says he's coming again? How seriously do we take that? Is that seriousness shown or manifested in something of our daily practices? Or, or is it theological and intellectual and just kind of out there in the ether somewhere? Do we take seriously the coming of the Lord such that yeah, we just keep refined ways and habits of looking for him in prayer, in conversation, kinds of things we read, in the way we encourage one another, the kinds of things we talk about. At, at the bottom, being woke or awake, as the Bible describes it, is really simply boiled down to looking for Jesus' return, hungering for it. That's an important distinction. It's an important reality. Because we, we could be, quote unquote, woke on social issues and asleep spiritually. We could be quite alert to injustices, rightly so, not dogging that. We, we could be alert to inequities and unfairness. We could be alert to the kinds of things we face in our neighborhood with regard to uh, systemic injustices, discrimination, with regard to community violence and things of that sort. We can be alert to all of those things in a really healthy and wonderful way and at the same time give no thought that Jesus is coming. And here's the wonderful thing. If we give thought, regular, habitual thought, to the coming of the Lord, and we are awake to his coming, it will produce that other kind of focus. I mean, if we live like Jesus is coming, and we live our lives like he's near, and live like we're living before the eyes of the all-seeing God, guess what that produces? It produces righteousness, and justice, and equity, and love, 
and mercy and good works, right? It produces all the things that are necessary to bearing witness in a fallen world against a broken and corrupt world. We won't get to spiritual awareness merely by having social awareness, but we can grow a deeper, richer, stronger, more resilient, more insightful, more wise social awareness by committing ourselves to the spiritual awareness of the coming of the Lord. This is how John puts it in 1 John chapter 3, around verse 2. He says, everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself as he is pure. That hope John was talking about was seeing Jesus when he comes. Everyone who truly has that hope in themselves purifies themselves by meditating on that hope. And that hope purifies us, makes us pure like he is, and purity in the world witnesses powerfully on all the things we care about. So the question is, are we staying away? Are we woke Christians looking for the return of the Lord? I pray so. Let's pray today. Lord Jesus, we pray. Come quickly. Hasten the day. Do not delay. The spirit and the bride say come. Help us with our hearts. Help us with our thoughts. Help us with our actions. Grant us grace and power by the Holy Spirit to witness to you before councils and synagogues, before kings and rulers, before family members, before a world at war, a world suffering, earthquakes and pestilences, uh, a world that would not recognize idolatry. It fell on us. Help us, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Help us to look to your coming. Help us to bear witness, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, we have the privilege of concluding our service with the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is a supper that the Lord instituted on the night that he was betrayed with his original disciples, commanded that it be observed until he comes. In fact, this supper preaches. It preaches his death, burial, and resurrection, and it preaches an anticipation of his coming. Uh, the wafer represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us. The blood, or excuse me, the cup, the juice, represents the blood of Christ, which was shed for us. His broken body and shed blood and his resurrection are the means by which we are saved from God's judgment on the world and saved for God's love. When we take this supper by faith, we remember those things that Jesus has done for us and we look forward to Jesus' coming. When we take this supper by faith, it feeds us. It feeds our faith and it helps us to endure until the end. And when we take this supper by faith, discerning the body of Christ, we recognize that it's not just me and Jesus, but it's the people of God and Jesus. It's his bride, the church, that we are a part of and that is a part of him. And we rejoice at that reality. We 
no longer orphans, we're no longer abandoned, we're no longer alone, part of the family of God. So we take it as the family of God. If you're visiting with us this morning and you are able to take the Lord's Supper at your church, uh, and you that church preaches the same gospel that you have heard here, we welcome you to take the supper with us. We want to reflect the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and serve the same Lord and have the same hope. If you're here and you're from another church and the leaders of your church have asked you for some reason not to take the supper, perhaps they have been trying to address something in your life spiritually or to encourage you in some way uh, toward repentance and greater faithfulness. If you're unable to take the supper at your church, we ask you, please don't, don't take it here. There is a grace in having to consider that you're unable to come to the table. And hopefully that grace and that kindness leads you into repentance and into a more fulsome walk with Jesus. And finally, if you're visiting with us this morning and you're not yet a Christian, God, we want you to become one. More than that, God wants you to become one. He wants you to receive what his son has done for you. His son has given his life for you. He has voluntarily, gladly, lovingly died for you to pay the penalty for your sins. And then three days later, he was raised from the grave to defeat death for you and to purchase for you eternal life and an everlasting kingdom. The invitation is to come first to Jesus and believe in him as your Lord and Savior and then come to this meal and eat like a true child of God with his family. But if you haven't done that, I will invite you to think about what it means for you not to eat at God's table as one of his children. It means that you are cast out of his family and in danger of his judgment. God's judgment wasn't made for you. It was made for Satan and his demons. He has prepared salvation for you. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Put your faith in him to save you from your sin and to bring you into God's family. Beloved, on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he had this meal with his disciples. He explained the Passover meal in terms of his own sacrifice for our salvation. Explain that the body or the bread, excuse me, was his body broken for us. And that the wine was his blood shed for us. And after explaining that, they took this meal together and rejoiced together in anticipation of his coming. So let me offer a word of prayer for our elements. Before I do that, is there anyone who would like to take the supper, who's able to take the supper, who doesn't have, uh, who doesn't have the communion materials that, that would like them? Just raise your hands. Amen. So let me offer a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus, your son, our savior. We marvel at what he has done for us. And we rejoice at the hope of his coming. Father, we pray, bless these elements, these normal elements, Jews and a wafer. Bless them to us spiritually. Help us to eat and drink in faith. Remembering the body of our Lord. Remembering his church, remembering the gospel and hoping, anticipating his coming. Feed us by faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You would take with me the wafer.
Let's break together as they did on that first night. And let's eat together. Let's also take the cup together. Symbolizes his blood shed for us. Let's drink together. Let's pray together. Father, how can we praise you for the sacrifice of your son? How can we praise you for being able to remember his sacrifice in our first communion in over a year, our first in-person communion in over a year? Thank you for preserving us until this day, until this moment. Thank you for preserving the truth and the power and the beauty of this meal unto this moment. Thank you for preserving an inheritance for us kept by your power through faith in heaven, incorruptible, uh, unfading. Thanks for your every promise, which is yes and amen in Christ your Lord. Thank you that we are yours and you are ours. Seal that to our hearts, we pray. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Come quickly and gather your bride, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The praise team is going to come and lead us in a song. After that, the benediction will be this. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. Um, God, we ask today that you would continue to help us, Lord. Um, long for your appearing. Help us, God, to worship you and to wait faithfully for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can't get to sustain the work. I'm not going to lie to you. It's been acting real funny. So I'm going to sing this song a cappella. Um, if you guys will stand with me as we sing this song. Um, the bridge says, so we wait, we wait for you. And after hearing a sermon, um, that Pastor T has preached, um, the question that comes to mind is like, okay, so then what does this mean? What does this mean for my life? What do I do? And I think that sometimes as believers, when we think about waiting, um, we don't, we think about ourselves in a room with our Bibles, but I think that what was so clear in our reading and Pastor T's messages, our waiting is an active waiting. Our waiting is us sharing the gospel with other people. Our waiting is us telling this world that although everything else is fading, there's one who is everlasting. 
and his name is Jesus. And so we're going to sing, Even So Come. I don't know if y'all will sing with me. All of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back, call back the sinner. Wake up the saints. Let every nation shout of your name. Jesus, Jesus is coming soon. And like a bride, like a bride, Waiting for her groom will be the church ready for you. Every heart longing for our king, we sing, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. We cry out, even so come. Lord Jesus, come. There will be justice. There will be justice. All will be new. Your name forever, faithful and true. Jesus, Jesus is coming soon. There will be justice. There will be justice. All will be new. Your name forever, faithful and true. Jesus, Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride, like a bride, waiting for her groom. We'll be the church, ready for you. Every heart longing for our King. We sing like a bride, like a bride, waiting for her groom. We'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King. We sing, even so come, Lord Jesus, come, even so. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. So we wait, we wait for you. God, we wait, you're coming soon. Oh, we wait on you, Lord, so we wait. We wait for you. Our hearts are longing. God, we wait. You're coming soon. So we wait. So we wait. We wait for you. All creation is groaning. God, we wait. You're coming soon. One more time, so we wait. So we wait. We wait for you. Oh, we wait for you, God. God, we wait. You're coming soon. Like a bride, like a bride, waiting. 
for her room. We'll be the church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King. We sing like a bride, like a bride waiting for her groom. We'll be the church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King. We sing, even so come, Lord Jesus, come, even so, even so come, Lord Jesus, come, even so, even so come, Lord Jesus, come, even so. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. I pray that your heart says, come. pray that this week we would be looking for his coming. If he gives us a week, may he come by the end of the day before we eat lunch. May he come soon. He's coming in glory and power and coming in his reward. And that's our great hope. We want to pray for our brother Colin this week as he prepares to feed us God's word. Look forward to that with anticipation. Lord willing, if Jesus doesn't come, pray for him. Read the text this week. Uh, prepare your hearts to receive. Let's encourage each other while it's day. Let's encourage each other today for he's coming soon. Here now the blessing of the Lord, and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, when we're dismissed, remember, mask up again, uh, greet each other at a distance. Hear the blessing of the Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.